Amen. So we're going to pick up in 10 verse 1, but before we do, uh, just a recap of uh, chapter 8. Ezra's reading the law, and, uh, and, and if you're kind of wondering where we are with all this, go back and read it. It would probably take you an hour or so to read it, and it's just such a blessing. But um, I'll just go back a little bit, kind of set the stage for where we are right now. So in chapter 8, Ezra's reading the law, and they um, uh, they observe the Feast of Tabernacles, and they're reestablishing individual and corporate worship. So it's it's neat because they all build the booths up on top of their houses, and so so many things are started because they've been out so long in, in captivity that uh, when they came back to rebuild Jerusalem, they had to not only uh, you know rebuild uh, what was happening there, build the walls, everything. Uh, worship had to be restored. So there was so much that had to happen, and the fact that worship and prayer was was the priority, and that the Lord was their strength. And and you'll go through as you're reading and le- learn how they're putting bricks up. And I think it was 51 or 52 days. They ended a miraculous time. They ended up getting all the work done for the provision, and, and they had threats and they had people coming to them and um, wanting to do them harm and trying to drag them out from uh, inside. They had some people that weren't really um, weren't really on uh, on Nehemiah's side and and just enemy from without and within and, and those things and. Um, what it's building up to is, is you know, they read the law and the people were so blessed and they're like, this is this is right. This is the way things should be. Uh, moving into chapter 9, chapter 9 is mostly focused on a corporate confession of sin and then them acknowledging where that sin took them and, and the uh, effects and repercussion it had on them individually and as a nation. So uh, if, if you look in at verse 15 in your Bible uh, of chapter 9, You'll see uh, what's being said here is uh, this is them uh, them speaking of God. And it says, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and, and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land uh, which you swore to them. So uh, it's, it's talking of the, I think I just read, did I read from the right thing? Nine. Oh, verse 16. Sorry. Um, but they, our fathers, acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders, and they did not uh, that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return, or return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I mean, that, that confession of they did wrong. You gave them what they needed. You were blessing them. You were guiding them, providing for them. And, and uh, they sinned, and they deserved what they got. And, and, but I love what it says here. Uh, but you are God, ready to pardon. Ready to pardon. That's important. That's very important in our, uh, to, for us to have on the tip of our tongue. Uh, for the, because people who we talk to, um, they are hurting. They're burdened by sin, no matter whether they show it or not. I've met some of the most uh, flamboyant uh, people of just just like uh, just foul mouth and and putting up the the, the biggest front and that's I, I knew it I could see right through the front and uh, and uh, because in a one on one conversation it's not like that with this guy that I that I know and um, but in a group it's I gotta be boisterous I gotta be loud I've gotta be vile and, and all these things and. Man, I know, I know, and uh, we've had short discussions. I don't, I haven't had a lot of 
you know, alone time with this guy. Um, but goodness, I know he needs to hear that, that the Lord is quick to pardon. Because usually what I've, I've noticed is the ones that are the, the biggest opposition, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, you know, the biggest opposition, uh, you know, he was the one that was changed the most by grace. You know, you think of, of what the Lord did in his life, and he's like, I'm not even worthy to be called a disciple, you know, or an sorry, called an apostle. And uh, so just that ready to pardon, I love that. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. I know Will has shared with us several times, uh, but I just wanted to share it also. I mean, so many people have that that mindset that the Old Testament God is different and he's judged and he's got fire bolts just like a dart and just, you know, a spear ready to stab us with him. You know, those lightning bolts and that's not the case. Same, the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just blessed by that. Uh, Israel's many departures. They had a lot of departures, but it was always his grace and mercy that was that was restoring them. So uh, in, in chapter 9, if you would uh, just skip to verse 31. Before we get into 10, verse 31 says, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, uh, nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. They repeated that. They repeated it. They're, they're repeating uh, what, what can be repeated of the Lord's grace and mercy. And it's always saying, hey, you know, we did all these things. Nevertheless, you are great. They they knew what they were they were guilty of, but they they also knew of who the Lord was and how uh, ready to pardon He was, declaring God's righteousness and judging them. If we look at verse thirty three, look at verse thirty three. And, and I don't mean to keep skipping over uh, these. Things. Actually, let's just read thirty two. We just read thirty one. So uh, thirty two says, "Now therefore, our God, the great." the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy. Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that, that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully but we have dealt wickedly. You have dealt faithfully. We have dealt wickedly. That trade-off, the Lord gets our sin, we get his righteousness. I know I've shared that before, but they're saying it right here. You know, uh, Everybody who came before us, everything, um, yeah, we've fallen before you. Verse 36, here we are servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty here we are, servants in it. So that's where we're at. That's where it's building up to. That whole chapter 9 was a confession of Israel's sin, but God's mercy and faithfulness to restore. That's that's the setting that we're moving into chapter 10 with. And I love how they how in their own confession they say, here we are, servants today. You gave us this land that we might have it and enjoy it, but now we're servants in it. That's where our sin has led us. So uh, in picking up, uh, we're going to start, and in, in, uh, actually we're going to start in uh, 38 and then keep reading through. Uh, 38 of chapter 9 says, And because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of 
Hekeliah, and Zedekiah. Now it's going to go through a bunch of names, and I'm not going to, you know, butcher names in front of you, but there are 84 names given here of everybody. So there's a covenant in writing, and the leaders and ministers. Now, if we're focusing on leadership, that's important for us because what we see here now is the first leader mentioned is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the one writing this book, but he's also the governor of uh, of Jerusalem and what's happening here. And uh, the their focus, uh, what's happening here is, uh, you know, his Nehemiah's focus all along had been the needs of the people, the temple, and the city. He was a selfless man, and and we'll read through of of his heart for the Lord and and uh, some things that he had to do that don't look like they'd be. You know, people might, oh my goodness, he did that like grabbing somebody and punching him in the face, you know, those things. When he really needs to lay down the law, he he needs to later on. And I'm kind of excited to get there. Is there a reason that, I, you know, I don't know why I should be, but uh, I am excited to get to that point um, just because I, I just, I love his zeal for the Lord. And, uh, it, but Nehemiah as, as a governor was a great governor. His focus was where it should be. His focus on the people, the temple and the work that's happening here and on the city. And uh, he had the opportunity to then try to establish his own little mini dynasty, and uh, and be able to reign and and rule. And uh, that was he knew that's not why he was set there. His heart was set with the Lord, and if his heart set with the Lord, then he's going to be doing what he should be doing. And that's what his focus was: to minister to people, to go and restore Jerusalem, just like he was told that he could do when Artaxerxes gave him the permission to leave. He left, and and not only gave him the permission to get provision and protection as they were going. I gave him all that said, here you go. I sent them away. Only the Lord does that. Only the Lord set that all up. We know that as you go through and as we were reading and studying through. Now, 84 names are listed here. 84 leaders. And what's really neat about this is these people are making a, a written statement of faith and then putting their family signet. Their, their signet ring, putting their stamp on this. It's really neat to see that this leadership was serious about it. And when they're putting that stamp, that signet on there, they're not just talking about those 84 people. They're talking about them and their families. So there's a lot that's going on here. I actually have a quote from uh, Warren Wearsby. He says, it's one thing to attend a feast, sing praises to God, and hear uh, the Bible read and explained, and quite something else to commit yourself to obey the will of God, Warren Wearsby. So really neat. It's it's one thing to be blessed and to hear these things and experience these things. But what he goes on to say, it's quite something else to commit yourself to obey the will of God. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're holding themselves accountable by their names being on that and their signet ring. That's, that's, that's quite a, an accountability. Accountability can make us very um, uneasy and, and uh, Make us, uh, I guess uneasy is the word I want to use. I can't think of another one right now. But uneasy, because then, wait, we're held accountable. Like, I'm going to be held to this standard? And I remember my uh, my old supervisor uh, before she retired, she, when I was, you know, coming up, when I came in as a brand-new recruiter, and then I, I became a recruiting supervisor. And um, But she had a statement, and it was, what gets measured gets done. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, okay. And I never, I didn't really get it at first. And, uh but, hey, if I'm going to come and I'm going to measure that out and I'm going to know that it's going to get done, I know that if I'm holding you accountable to that, it'll get done. And uh, loved working for her, and I learned a lot from her, but that's that's going to stick with me. 
for the rest of my life. Quite something else to commit yourself to obey the will of God. It's a, we can all nod our heads, everything, but it's, it, that was a great uh, quote that I wanted to share with you. So they're putting their seal on this, and they're showing God and the people that they're leading that they're serious about their obedience. They, everybody knows. You know, they're made, making that public profession they are going to follow the Lord. And, and um, so that, that seal, as we know, uh, meant that their family signet ring. So they're, they're making that symbolism that me as a leader, I'm making a statement for me and my family. And, uh, and we're, we're going to obey the Lord and we're going to walk with the Lord. And, uh, and they did it. So um, it, it reminds me of uh, Joshua. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Uh, Joshua 24, I think it was. Um, I know as I'm as I was just taking some notes, I, I just you know I know I've made some bold declarations in my life that have completely and utterly failed, and then others that I've stuck with. So, um, uh, you know, a bold declaration uh, that was made and then failed, and I I thought of our brother Peter, and uh, you know, and he just told the Lord, though all else forsake you, I'll never forsake you, you know, and the Lord has to kind of give him that that news. Ah, hey Peter, guess what? <laughs> You know, we know we know the story in it, but we know that our brother Peter uh, um, did love the Lord, and uh, it was just a circumstance that overtook him, and uh, and and yeah, he did cower out, but that wasn't the end of our brother. He was restored by the Lord. He he, he denied him three times and was re restored three times, and then church tradition tells us, you know, he he can. I mean, as obviously we can read through the scripture and read the book of Acts and. Read or read the letters that Peter wrote, um, and 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 know that the Lord was dedicated and and followed the Lord um, all the way to what church tradition says, being crucified upside down. I mean, uh, the, you know, when I, it bugs me when people say, "Oh, they petered out." <laughs> you have no idea what that means. You know, it, it, that's another thing that people don't understand understand the scripture in one circumstance. Is that what he should be remembered for? Absolutely not. But that bold statement, I'll never, you know, um, and the things that we've stuck, uh, stood by, you know, baptism. Baptism is a bold profession of faith. We may think of it as being something, oh, hey, you know, everybody at church, I'm just going to jump in the pool and call it good. But I actually, uh, Jen and I got to witness one um, by video uh, this week. And uh, my friend's um, father is in his 80s and uh, is dealing with uh, with cancer and uh he uh, had never been baptized, you know. So my brother, my my buddy's at work. I'm talking with him. He's like, "Well, I gotta have you know this type of discussion with my dad and find out if he's saved." And so he comes back, you know, a week or two later. He's like, "All right, so my dad has accepted the Lord, and he's never been baptized, so he wants to be baptized." And I was just so blessed this week. I think it was maybe Tuesday. Uh, it was Tuesday night. I was sitting at the kitchen table and I see a little thing come up on my phone. Grab my phone. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. And I look and it's a videotape of him being baptized. He's in his 80s. And Jen brought something up. And don't, don't mean to embarrass you, babe. But um, she's just so blessed. And, and, and she's like, do you notice? And we both noticed the same thing. Of He was so attentive to what his pastor was saying to him. He was dialed, locked in. I mean, this man's in his 80s. He's in pain with cancer. and But he was dialed in and, and ready for uh, just the blessing to be able to be baptized and make that profession in front of his family. He's in his own home, but he was just ready, and it was just such a blessing. You know that baptism. Uh, those those are bold declarations that sometimes we think, well, you're baptized. It is a bold declaration. 
we are making a bold declaration that that old man is gone and the new one is uh, or old woman. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, ladies. But that old person's gone. Which, it, dead. And that's that symbolism. I mean, if you just look and someone gets dunked in the water and they come up, oh, yeah, that looks cute. But the symbolism, if somebody understands the symbolism, is very powerful. Uh, a couple things that I, that I had on here, those public professions of faith, just, you know, I, I am a Christian. You know, having discussions, uh, those are that's a that's a bold thing to do. Those are those are things that are bold because that's, you are identifying yourself with Christ, and if we're not ashamed of Him, you know, those those are important things for us. Um, some things that may need to happen, bold things that maybe uh, for this crowd here happened in our lives uh, uh, way back when, but uh, the change of the uh, the crowd we hung out with, you know, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, I, I remember when I first came to the Lord, um, I think I've shared this, and I'm sorry if I have, but I, I went to Calvary Chapel with my buddy uh, when it was in Orrington on Somerset, uh, sorry, in, in Bangor on Somerset Street over by John Baptist. And it was just that white building they were renting out. And I went and I heard, you know, the word being preached and uh, came back and I had, uh, I had it was a, a like one of those big fat Bibles um, that was small, but it was fat. And, uh, and I was kind of reading it. I was just kind of by myself, and I just wanted to read it. When the guys came in, I'm, I was just kind of reading, and, and uh, these guys were Christians. They were totally backslidden. You know, I had accepted the Lord at one point, but none of, none of us were really following the Lord at that point. But I was inspired um, by the Lord, and, and I, just, I just wanted to be, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know Him, but I wasn't really willing to give up, you know, that sinful lifestyle as a 17, 18-year-old kid. Um, just being stupid, and uh, but eventually that crowd, that crowd that I was hanging out with, kind of started thinning out a little bit, and well, partly because we moved, but <laughs> you know we were in Italy, but uh, but when we got there, that crowd that we were hanging out with was our church. We were at our church all the time. I remember the day we got married, just uh, talking to my wife, like every time those doors are open, we're going to be there, and uh, she's like, okay, let's go. You know, we we're both pretty new in our faith and walk with the Lord, but that that. Um, that crowd that we were hanging out with. Uh, speaking of crowds, uh, made me think of um, of First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Uh, evil corrupt, uh, company corrupts good habits, and uh, you know bad company corrupt, corrupts good morals. You've heard it said several times. Uh, the NIV says bad company corrupts good character. So uh, if that change, uh, and, and this would be something that we can share uh, with with people around us that maybe are new in their faith. Hey, I know, I know you've accepted the Lord. I know you're starting to come to church, but you know, you're putting yourself in the right positions to 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 really be strong in your walk. I know, um, Alan, you may you probably you know are in this situation when you've got guys coming out of the program um, and being able to encourage them to have godly relationships um, because that that evil company corrupts good habits. It's important for us to. Uh, uh, not only for us to do it in our lives, but to encourage those around us that that are, uh, you know, making a, a, a commitment to the Lord and starting to walk with Him. And I know uh, this one might stick out to everybody. Um, changing our vocabulary. <laughs> that uh, as soon as we've come to the Lord, is that, that maybe our signet ring type thing would be that how we conduct ourselves and how we talk. Um, that had to change for me. I know that. I know I just a little punk heathen riding around with a loud stereo, big bass cranking out of it. 
you know, thinking I'm a gangster in Bucksport, Maine. So, <laughs> you know, it's just what it was, you know, and uh, uh, just, just so foolish to look back at. But uh, just those changes. I, uh, um, a dear sister of ours, I don't, I don't know if any of you know her, but I went to high school uh, with with a lady who's uh, uh, loves the Lord now, is walking with the Lord, godly woman, married, has children and everything, but was pretty heavily into witchcraft. And um, when she got saved, uh, he went up to her pastor and was like, I don't know what to do with all these books. I'll burn them. <laughs> you know, there was that change in even what she had and what she was consuming in her life. All that junk was gone. So so those drastic changes, those bold declarations, these guys here in amidst the people that are around them are making that bold de declaration of we're putting our name on this and we're going to sign it with our family, our family uh, signet ring. So stamp it, I should say. Verse 28. So all those people are listed. Uh, verse 28 says, uh, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who were separated, who separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and everyone who had knowledge and understanding. These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses to the, uh, Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do the, uh, the commandments of the Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. We would not give, uh, we will, sorry, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares, which is merchandise, or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. So this, uh, these 84 people are listed, but then it says that we kind of get a, a glimpse of uh, this. Um, and I just uh, wrote down in here, uh, godly leadership can be contagious. Amongst those who are wanting to seek the Lord, if they see a leader seeking the Lord, then just like you know our kids, see, you know the the youth, they should see us and uh, and and want to serve the Lord after seeing how we love the Lord and are following the Lord. So that that hopefully that um, that leadership is contagious. And uh, you know you think of of uh, some of the opposition that that the church has faced over the years, and and uh, no matter what it was. Um, you know, you think back, you know, the Romans and, and the Jews trying to stamp out as soon as Jesus died, trying to stamp out Jesus's name and, and his teaching, but, uh, um, and, and his disciples, but his teachings and, uh, the, the church spread like wildfire and, and, and they had made that statement. They're going to continue to follow the Lord no matter what. And, 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 and that attempt to kind of quench that fire just made it spread more. It's like pouring gasoline on it. You know, so so with these guys here, when they're making that declaration and they're jumping in on it, you know there's going to be opposition. We know that when we're when we're seeking the Lord, but just continue to verse twenty eight says, um, I like that it says here that those that had understanding. Uh, it reminded me of of uh, in Revelation, Jesus saying, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear," uh, and uh, it's very important for us. So those that have understanding. Those are the ones that were making these declarations. And uh, and what they're saying is, 
hey, we're going to separate ourselves from the sinfulness of this world and we're going to follow the Lord. And we're going to make this decision as families. And, and we're going to, uh, as we follow the, the Lord, we're going to uh, make godly decisions of who we marry and, and how we conduct our lives and who, are, who, our, who our daughters go to marry. Um, if, you, uh, if you wouldn't mind turning with, uh, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. I think Curtis has it up on the screen too. Am I right? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. The choice of life or death. For this commandment which I command you today is not too uh, mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, uh, who would ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it back to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord God will bless you in the land which you, are, which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over in the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So when we, when we read, we'll stay right here for a second, but when we're reading back in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, and, and we come across verse 29 where it says that they took a curse and oath, it reminded me of, of, uh, of the Lord setting, in front of, uh, setting this in front of them and, uh, in, in verse 11 where it says, for this commandment which I command you this day is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. The simplicity of the Lord, it's just the simple basics. Just obey, walk with me, love me, and things are going to go well for you. But if you want to take the hard road, you're not going to like the results. Anybody who's a parent, we can we can you know relate to this. We want our children to obey and and. The, and what I love is that the Lord's saying, hey, this, this isn't far off. This isn't hard. This isn't mysterious. This is very easy. Just walk with me. Follow me. And in verse 9, it's just spelled out to him. You know, you can choose. You got your choices, blessings or cursings. Choose life. The Lord is pleading, choose life. I love that. I love that the Lord is pleading that you would make the choice 
for life. Because so many may say that, oh, you know, whatever, God's in control of whatever. And, and uh, you know, what do we really know? You know what? We have every choice in the world to make. God loves us and he's given us that choice. And his plead with us. And just like we'd plead with our children. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't go down that road. Don't go there. You're going to get don't stick that into the uh, into the outlet. Don't do that. That's going to be bad for you. You're not going to like it. Don't jump off that whatever and fall and knock your head. Those things are going to be bad for them. And anybody who's a parent, we can easily relate to that. The heart of the Lord crying out. But this, the, the simplicity, I love that he's just saying, hey, this is simple. This isn't far off. This isn't hard. Just continue to walk with me. And that's, and that's all it is. You want to you want to read some neat stuff. I'm just going to read verse one. If you're in, in Deuteronomy, I think we were just in 30, right? Uh, just turn over a couple chapters to 28. I'm just going to read verse one to you. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey my vo- the voice of the Lord your God to o- uh, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And then it goes on, blessings of obedience. And, and I'm looking verses 1 through 14, all the blessings. And then from 15 on, the, the curses of disobedience. It's just the simplicity that God has for us. God says, if you'll do this, if you'll do these things in your life, you're going to be blessed. If not, you're going to reap what you sow, you know, and that it's just what it is. You know, I, I love uh, love how Will has said, you know, give us the basic example. Um, you know, you, you, you plant a carrot and you go looking for peas. Why are you looking for peas? You planted the carrots. You know, that type of that type of just, you know, what, what we what we what we plant in our lives. That's going to be what we end up reaping from it. So, uh, so as they're going through, they're making these declarations. And uh, in verse 30, so they're saying in verse 29 to walk in God's law and uh, that was given to Moses and to follow all the commandments. And then it goes into verse 30. We would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, uh, nor take their daughters uh, as son, uh, for our sons. And uh, this just reminded me of marriage. Marriage is, is joining uh, the joining of two families together, especially back in those days. Um, uh, today, I mean, it's kind of easy for you know us to you know just get married and take off if you want, and, and maybe the fa- families might talk at some occasion or whatever. But often back then, is uh, you know you married someone who was close to you, and and you're going to be somewhat near them. And uh, but it it does join regardless of it's close or not. Or you know you're joined. Two families are joined together by you two, and uh, um, and it should lead to godly unity. But uh, um, in, in certain cases, it doesn't. And, uh, and what they're talking about is that those they're bringing it up because they know that that was one of their problems. We're not going to do that because we know what that did and, and the consequences of that. And, and we can look forward and it, just look at, at um, the forward in the scripture uh, and, and look what it did to Solomon. You know, Solomon had a ton of wives and his heart was led astray because he married pagan ladies. And they taught him their t- pagan ways, and and then you can just read through and just it, read through First Kings and Chronicles, and just look at all the mess that happened because people's hearts were departing from the Lord. But specifically, this is talking about 
uh, about marriage, and um, and it can lead to sin and and idolatry and rejecting God. That's what was happening back then. And uh, one thing that this uh, reminded me of missionary dating, and uh, that that you know if I can if I can just be that person, I know I know that some they said that they want to come to the Lord. They they want to you know uh, they their heart seems right. So uh, maybe if I date them, they'll start coming to the Lord and and everything. And often what happens is the Christian gets pulled down. And, uh, and it's an utter failure. And things don't work out well. And, uh, you know, Scripture tell us, tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's pretty easy there. And that uh, that yoke, if you think of it, you want two, uh, two ox pulling uh, that, are, that are of equal strength. Otherwise, one's going to get dragged around. I mean, when they're carrying that yoke, if you've ever been to the fair and you watch those things, they're monstrous. They're huge and powerful. And if you put on a weak one with a with a strong one, uh, that strong one's going to get tired out, and the weak one's going to get dragged. You know, it's just what's going to happen. Everything's going to be uneven. You know, look like there was a scuffle there or something. So, uh, we, you know, we can look at so many of these things. So when they're making that declaration, because they know that has been their downfall before, so they're saying this. Um, we don't have to turn there, but if you uh, another reference would be in Genesis twenty six. And um, just any time I've ever read this, I've kind of just chuckled at how it says. But 26 verses 33 and 34, we can see that Esau married uh, two Hittite ladies, um, Judith. And I think it's, it's spelled base math, B-A-S-E and then math. So I, I don't know how else they'd say it, but Judith and base math. And, uh, and in verse 35, I always get a kick. It says, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Those people that were not followers of the Lord and, and Esau married them and they were grief of mind to their in-laws. You know, and what, what I thought of as I was studying this was opposite of that would be Ruth. And, uh, you know, if you think of Naomi, you know, when, when they all lost their husbands, Ruth and Naomi and the other, uh, the other daughter-in-law, they all lost their husbands. And what do we do? Oh, well, you guys can just go back to where you're going. Uh, Naomi was saying, and, and Ruth's like, absolutely not. I'm going with you. No, you need to go back. No, I'm going with you. And think of that godly woman, what she did for her mother-in-law. Now she went back and and she was uh, she was loyal to her. She was a provider. Uh, she was such a blessing to her mother-in-law. You know. It, so there there's our difference. There's the difference of of the the fruits of marrying uh, a believer. Uh, and and why and and being equally yoked uh, in that manner. If not, that person may just be a grief to the mother and father-in-law. You know those things. So and we all know there. You know those are just some of the things that can be such disasters um, in that. So when the when they mention this, they're mentioning it for a reason. It was a problem within them, and they're saying, "Hey, we're not going to take our believing daughters and then marry them off to a bunch of pagans because then we're going to have a bunch of pagan grandkids running." You know, and, and and nothing ever good comes from you know them being surrounded by pagan nations. So what they're saying is, we're making a stance here. We're going to follow the Lord. We're not going to intermarry. We're not going to do all that stuff. We're going to follow the Lord, and and uh, we're going to have a godly marriages. So uh, you know, as they're uh, they're making these declarations, so it goes down. If we can um, look at verse thirty-one. And uh, now they're talking about honoring the Sabbath and holy days, not buying merchandise, those things, because it, the Sabbath was, uh, 
you know, what we have to assume at this point was they weren't observing the Sabbath at all, so it didn't matter. So what they're saying is we're reestablishing, you know, how important the Sabbath and holy days are to us, and we're going to observe those as holy days, and we're going to serve the Lord, and we're not going to make it a day of merchandise. And I was reading through that, and I'm going, oh my goodness, you know, here in the United States, it's, you know, Thanksgiving Day, man. I mean, two o'clock on Thanksgiving, everything's back open. We can't, you know, we can't go there. And on Sundays, hey, everything's open. I remember when I was a kid, all stores were closed. You know, anybody, you know, living, I don't know how old I was, but you guys remember, I've seen a lot of heads nod. Uh, stores were closed on Sundays. And uh, it's amazing to see something like Chick-fil-A where everybody's like, what? they're not open on Sundays? Wait a minute. That's a bad business model. Have you seen their business model? It's shredding everybody else's. You know, they, they do awesome. And I know they're doing awesome because they're honoring the Lord. That's They are they're clearly honoring the Lord in their in their business. And uh, uh, the Lord is reward, has rewarded them and is rewarding them and using them mightily. And a lot of people say, well, if you're closed, you know, a restaurant chain that's not open on the weekend when everybody's out running around and doing stuff. Yep. Yeah, because the people that are there need to be in church and have that opportunity. Man, I wish we went back to that as a nation. I love it. I, I can't say I'm not heartbroken if we go to Bangor, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, Chick-fil-A, I can use some waffle fries and some sweet tea and give me a chicken sandwich. And, and Jed will just look at me. I think I've told you the story, but when we years ago, we never had a Chick-fil-A. We flew down to uh, Florida, and I was, I was going down for work, and Jen and the girls went down, and we're going through the airport, and I think we flew in on a Sunday. Uh, or yeah, I think it was flew in and Jen's so excited and, and uh, we're in the air, airport and Chick-fil-A we see it and then we wait a minute everything's like shut down and turned off and her, tears in her eyes <laughs> you know my poor southern wife living in Maine hadn't had Chick-fil-A and so looking forward to it we get to the airport and no Chick-fil-A that day but we, we were still blessed but <sighs> just such a dirty rotten trick to play as, as, uh, as uh, what's his name Tim Hawkins says, you know, I love that song. you got to look it up, the Chick-fil-A song. All right, back to the study. Honoring the Lord. Uh, in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 23, uh, verses 10 and 11, I'm going to turn there. In just a second here. Oliver, I should have some tabs. I have a couple. 23 verses uh, 10 and 11 uh, laws of the Sabbath it says six years you shall sow your land and gather its and its produce but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and, uh, and lie foul foul or follow uh, that the poor of your people may eat and uh, what they leave the beasts of the field may eat in like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. So it was the Lord establishing. And there was also the year of Jubilee where um, where uh, debts would be canceled out on the seventh year. So what they're saying is we're, we're, we want to we go all in. We, 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 we want to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. We don't want to kind of keep some things back and, you know, well, we're still going to do this. You know, as, you're, as we're even reading in Nehemiah, I mean, uh, you know, just a few chapters back, we're reading that people are, you know, having to sell their families into slavery just to live. And Nehemiah is coming up and confronting that right head on. Absolutely not. And they're like, Yo, you know what? You're right. We're not going to do that anymore. So what they're saying is, hey, Sunday, the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, you know, that day is going to be holy. And, and, and we are going to follow the Lord. We're not going to get into all the stuff that we've forsaken. 
and walking away. And it was, it was, if you look, I mean, they're, they're forsaking just different things along the way. And, and as it goes, you know, if we're drifting from the Lord, well, this is going to fall out. This is going to fall out. Well, I'm no longer going to go really, probably not going to go to Thursday, uh, you know, midweek service. I'll probably just go on Sunday and, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll just go a couple Sundays a month and, uh, you know, I just got so much going on. We can drift that easily. And then, and then those things fall out and then we realize, wait a minute, what happened? And, oh, I got too busy. You know, and then we find out, you know, that we're we're in trouble. So so they're making a declaration here that, that things need to change and they're making some pretty bold uh, statements. Verse 32 says, also, uh, also, we made our our ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering. For the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. So uh, another thing that they're tr holding themselves accountable for, and and what they're saying is we're making an ordinance that we're going to hold ourselves accountable uh, for supporting monetarily the ministry that's happening there. They're saying right here uh, that they're going to exact from ourselves yearly one-tenth of a shekel for the service of the house of God. So they're monetarily, um, like I said, all in. This is another thing that they're including in this. You know, we're not going to marry there. We're not going to do this on the Sabbath. We're not going to. We're going to be giving um, to the ministry what's happening and we you know what the Lord's doing around us. And it says for the service of a house of our God. Uh, the Bible calls us to tithe, and that's 10%. And, uh, and God challenges us to, in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it's up on the screen here, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me and know this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be enough room to receive it. That's the challenge from the Lord is trust me enough. You know, honor honor me with what I've given you, and I'm going to pour out blessings beyond what you can imagine. And as I was going through that, they're going on to say here that you know all the things that that's going to help. It's going to help with the burnt offerings. It's going to help with um, the, the the feasts. It's going to help with all of those things. And for us, I looked at it as it supports our our pastor. It supports our building, our utility bills, and ministries, and everything. So. Uh, obviously very important to be invested financially into what ministries the Lord has us plugged into. Continuing on, it says to make atonement for Israel. And I, just a quick note on that, that, that atonement would be when it would offer up uh, sacrifices to cover the sins for Israel. And I love in Hebrews when it tells us in, in uh, Hebrews 10, four, uh, when it tells us that the blood and uh, the, the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient. It wasn't enough. You know, it was a symbol of who Jesus was and what he was going to do. I just, I love that where, where uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that. It just it, it uses different wording, but I just put insufficient in here. Uh, verse 34, we cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the bringing of wood into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at the appointed times year by year uh, to burn on the altar of the house of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. 
and we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of our fruit of all the trees year by year to the house of our Lord, of the Lord, to bring the first fruits, uh, firstborn of our sons and cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the people, uh, sorry, to the priests who minister in the house of the Lord, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storehouse of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes into the land, uh, sorry, tithes of the land to receive the tithes uh, to the Levites, for the Levites should receive tithes in all, all our farming communities. And the priests and the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the tithes of the house of our uh, sorry, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine, of the oil, of the store uh, to the storeroom where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests and the minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Talking about worship being restored. And then they start talking about their casting lots to see who was going to be in charge of things, the physical needs, the wood being brought in. I love how it says that. Who's going to take care of the... And then it goes on to say the first fruits. The first fruits of everything listed there. And the firstborn of everything listed there. It's not like the, the, the secondhand shop like giveaway stuff. Like, hey, you know, if we got some extra stuff. It's, you know, you know we're just kind of giving the Lord of our scraps. And in and, and those givings, it doesn't always, here in, in, in our application, doesn't always have to be a, a, a material gift. And I think it's back in Exodus 34 that, um, that Moses actually had to tell everybody, like, stop giving. You're giving too much. And I know we've talked about that before. It's just such a blessing to read that. But it could also be time and talents, you know, uh, you know how, how we uh, use those um, to serve him practically. I mean, the farmers were giving what they were farming. And it said, and it lists the fruits and the fruits of the trees and everything, and not neglecting the house of of, of God. And um, uh, just a note here: dedication to God was costly, but they were all in. I mean, it was costly for them. They were giving. They were they were sacrificing what they had, but it was for the ministry. It was for uh, their to enhance even uh, their relationship with the Lord. And and God, like I said, He challenged them, and um, I think we're going to turn one more time. Um, Haggai uh, chapter one, uh, verse two, and uh, and we're going to read through verse seven. And I and Haggai chapter one, verse two. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, "This people says the time has not come, the time." Uh, that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord uh, came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to be in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, and do, uh, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You know, we will not neglect the house of our God. And, and, and if you look at the opposite of that, neglecting the house of God, house, the temple's in shambles, and uh, everybody's houses are all in order. Everything looks good at home. But where everybody comes to worship or should come to worship, nothing's going on. And that's that was uh, what the Lord was saying through Haggai at that time. So, you know, when you're looking, at, when it says, we will not neglect the house of our God, um, you know, that's that's what that would look like. Is yeah, you know what? I you know we don't have this, we don't have that. But man, my house looks good. That that's what it was. You know, that was in ruins, and it was, uh, um, you know, everybody's just kind of caring about what they had, and uh, that's um, that was being addressed in chapter eleven, verse one. And this was a uh, there's a there are a lot of names and who's who and who's where, um, and uh, so this is kind of kind of be a quick one, but there's uh, still quite a bit to, to, uh, to chew on here. Verse 1, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So this is a neat thing, you know. They've all made these declarations and and uh, are are making bold uh, statements of faith. And now, when it comes to you know where you're going to live, ten uh, percent of the people that were all there were going to be living in Israel. And those who didn't volunteer, they would cast lots to find out who it was. And if you did volunteer, everybody would bless them a little bit more. And uh, you know, those casting lots could be you know. Let's consider it like rolling the dice. Um, I know we've heard Will talk about that a few times, but what I like here is it's another example of leadership. There are people there that hey, something needs to be done. Yep, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll be that guy. You know, the, me and my family we'll, we'll go stay here. And it was a blessing to everybody that they were willing to step up and be those people that stay there. And them and their families made that commitment, and they were staying there in Jerusalem. The other ones would stay out out around, and, and not that they were wrong, but uh, it was just a, an extra blessing for when people were willingly offering themselves. And um, they they weren't you know looking for that place of relaxation and peacefulness because we know that they were surrounded by people that were threatening them and, and wanted to do them harm. And it's funny, the name Jerusalem is the city of peace, and uh, and it wasn't peaceful there right then. But they were dedicated, and they were they were ready to make that commitment for those that that were uh, that were ready just to willingly offer themselves to dwell there in the city of peace. And it just just neat to see because they could have said, you know what, we're gonna we were peaceful in our old places, and we were peaceful here, so we're just gonna go back. Hey, we built this; everybody else is good. But there were some that were willing to stay, and they were making you know making that that uh, offering, you know, willingly. So uh, they agreed to move from their homes and to inhabit Jerusalem. So uh, 3 through 14, uh, we'll read a little bit of it as we go, and then uh, there's a lot of uh, son of the son of. So uh, verse 3 says, These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem, 
built in the cities of Judah, everyone uh, dwelt in his own possession in their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and those were uh, temple assistants of Nethanim's, uh, Nethanim, and uh, descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin. And it goes on to lead, uh, to, to, to name these things. And these are the heads of the province. Um, and it goes on uh, and says, of this uh, family, the children of Judah, and it names on their list. And, um, and, but if you skip down to uh, verse 6, it says, uh, f- uh, 468 valiant men. And then if you go through with uh, Benjamin, 928 people. Priests, uh, 822. So as you're reading through, these are some of the numbers and things that are going to jump out of there. 900, uh, sorry, 822 brethren that did the work uh, in the temple. And then there are 242 additional heads of household, 128 valiant men. So people that are spread out all the way through. Uh, and uh, I, what I like here is the end of 14. Uh, it says the overseer was Zabdiel, the son of one of the great men. I don't know who one of the great men was, but that was pretty cool just to read there. Like, hey, uh, my dad was one of the great guys, you know, so he's listed there. And what I have to believe in that one of the great men was maybe a godly man and that they, he's honored just by, hey, you know, that Zabdiel, I was dad. And, you know, it's just kind of neat uh, blessing to read uh, verses uh, 15 through 24. Um this is also the Levites, and it goes on to, to list them. Um, and uh, in verse 16, it says, Shabbatai and Jozebad, the heads of the Levites, had the oversight of the business outside of the temple of, of God. Verse 17, Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, uh, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer is listed here. I like that. The leader who began Thanksgiving with prayer. So that's another neat thing that we can lead, as, we can learn as leaders is to be known as somebody who will lead with prayer. Um, I remember uh, not trying to bring ourselves up, but uh, if, if any of you pray in, in at a restaurant or whatever with your family, and, and uh, there have been occasions where I think it was a single mom, we were at like a Burger King or something. This was years ago. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't remember when it was, but it uh, just came over. Hey, I noticed you guys were praying. It's just a blessing. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. We weren't doing it to stand out. We're just, this is this is what we do as a family. And um, and I just like, he, he uh, led the Thanksgiving with prayer. Then um, it goes on to, to lead their 284 Levites. Um, uh, the Nethanim, uh, those temple assistants, they, they dwelt in, in Ophel. Um and uh, the daily provision uh, for those that served as singers. So let's uh, let's get to that point. Uh, verse 21 says, But the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and uh, Ziha and Gishba uh, were over the Nethanim. Also the overseers of the Levite in Jerusalem was Uzai, and goes on to list a lot of people there. Uh, and toward the end of 22 it says, um, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God, for it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion will be given to the singers, a quota day by day. And then uh, those people there, and it says, uh, uh, Pethiah was the king's deputy in all the matters concerning the people. So this guy here, his leadership, what he was supposed to do is he was supposed to be 
uh, like the governor's deputy. He was the person that was kind of a liaison between um, uh, Nehemiah and the people, just making sure that everybody had what they needed and in charge of those things. So the, uh, the you know the daily provision for those that were singing um, and uh, uh, this guy's at the king's hand and um, his his job was to make sure that uh, with uh, taking care of it says deputy and all the matters concerning the people. And uh, as you read through, I uh, will read verse 25. And as for the villages in their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kirjath Arba and its villages. And it goes on to list names and villages of where people are. Um, and, and it ends with saying, uh, verse 36, some of the Judean divisions and Levites were in Benjamin. So, you know, going going through a chapter like 11 where it's just got a bunch of names and it's got those things, to, to pull those nuggets out, to be able to look at, oh, you know, what did this person do? And, and uh, you know, what was mentioned of them? And, and where were they? And what were they doing? That they were willingly offering to stay there. They were they were taking a leadership role of, hey, you know, I'll be that volunteer. I know nobody really wants to do this or that or whatever it is. Uh, my family, we'll, we'll jump into that. And it says that, you know, the nine-tenths would bless that person for saying, hey, you know, you know good for you and your family, you know, blessings for you guys. Um, so there's a lot that we can just take for practical purposes uh, from these two chapters that we can learn um, uh, in leadership of how to be good leaders and, and how we're supposed to lead our families, uh, the mindset we should have, uh, and, and that servant heart and how it has blessed so many people. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we've been um, built up as leaders in whatever role we are. I'm convinced that every person who is walking with the Lord has some sort of leadership role in our lives. I take my little daughter, my nine-year-old, and uh, sometimes we go into um, into Sunday school when it's our month to be in there and, and to teach. I'm like, hey, you're going to have to be my helper today. She's ready to go. That she's that's a leadership role for her. I'm trying to just uh, you know uh, try to develop that in, in our kids and and uh, hope that they take that and and share it with others. And uh, because I just I I do I do, uh, do believe that Christians are called to be leaders wherever we are and whatever we're doing, and that the Lord's going to work in and through us. It may not have to be that Moses type leader where you're out front and everything, but be being willing to be servants and to, to, Hey, you know what? We'll stay in you know, our family. Be in, put us in that 10%. We're going to be some of those that stay or whatever it may be. Though it's just making that declaration and that, that uh, focus of obedience to the Lord. When those 84 men that we read of uh, in the, in the, in the beginning of chapter 10, were making that declaration uh, that was a declaration that we are going to walk in obedience to the Lord, and that's quite a statement to make. And they they backed it up with with their what they were saying, and they stamped that that signet ring on, and uh, that was that was heartfelt and uh, and powerful. So uh, we'll continue on next time, uh, looking at chapter twelve and maybe get into 13, but uh, we'll pick up at 12 next time. So let's pray. Father, we're blessed by uh, by your word and how it builds us and strengthens us. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to build our character and strengthen us and, and use us mightily wherever we are and in, in, in whatever situations and places you put us. We pray that you continue to uh, build us to maturity, that we continue to grow closer to you. And Lord, that we'd be examples to those 
around us, Lord, that we would be good leaders in the situations you put us in. We lift all these things to you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.